2: Out front next, breaking news. Israel now flooding Hamas's network of tunnels, flushing out militants. But Biden saying he can't be sure all hostages are out of harm's way. As America's closest ally breaks with the U.S. calling for a ceasefire tonight. Also breaking, Ukraine's president in Washington pleading for aid are his hopes of getting a deal dead. This as another country is taking a page from the Putin playbook and threatening a massive land grab with his backing. And Trump selling his mugshot as trading cards, along with pieces of the suit that he wore that day. Now being accused of breaking the law and how it is paying off for Trump. Let's go out front. And good evening, I'm Erin Burnett. Out front tonight, the breaking news. Gaza's tunnels are now being flooded. A U.S. official telling CNN tonight that the Israelis have informed the United States that they are flooding some of Hamas's tunnels with seawater in order to flush out Hamas fighters and short-circuit part of the infrastructure. The Israelis claim that the flooding is limited and that they're only flooding tunnels where they do not believe hostages are being held. However, just moments ago, President Biden could not say whether that is, in fact, the case.
3: I'm not, well, there is assertions being made that there's quite sure there are no hostages in any of these tunnels, uh, but I don't know that for a fact. I do know that, though, every civilian death is an absolute tragedy, and Israel stated its intent, as I said, to, uh, to match its, uh, its words with, uh, its intent with word, with actions. That's why uh, that's why I was that's what I was talking about today.
2: So we can't say for a fact, and clearly here he's referring to civilians overall beyond hostages. He's referring to Palestinian civilians. And Biden's response here, using the word assertion, is part of a growing rift between the U.S. and Israel that is now playing out in public. Today, Biden warning the Israeli prime minister, Benjamin Netanyahu, that he's losing international support because of, quote, indiscriminate bombing. Those were the words Biden used, leveling that sharp criticism at a fundraiser. Now, look, this is a major shift for Biden because up until now, publicly, Uh, and and the words he's used have been in lockstep with Israel and its prime minister. And late today, one of the U.S.'s closest allies turning, taking a stand and calling for an end to Prime Minister Netanyahu's campaign in Gaza, Canada, is now calling for a ceasefire. Alex Marquardt begins our coverage out front live in Tel Aviv tonight. And Alex, look, we're seeing this rift between the U.S. and Israel spilling into public, Uh, Biden using the word there, assertion about uh, the hostages and the tunnels being protected. The IDF is beginning what could be a major mission uh, inside those tunnels?
4: Yeah, Aaron, this could be a significant new tactic against this network of tunnels that is believed to contain some 300 miles or 500 kilometers of tunnels. Uh, The IDF is believed to be doing this on a limited basis, pumping seawater into a certain number of tunnels where they do not believe that the hostages are. A U.S. official tells our colleague Natasha Bertrand that the Israelis are unsure about how effective it's going to be. But you heard uh, President Biden's concern there for the hostages. Uh, Israel is saying there are still some 135 hostages inside Gaza, 166 of them are still uh, believed to be alive. And Aaron, this comes on a day when we've also heard some of the sharpest comments yet by President Biden against Netanyahu, his government, and the war in Gaza. The deeper Israel gets into its war in Gaza, the more discomfort the U.S. is expressing as Israel's closest ally. Tonight, the most pointed comments yet from President Joe Biden, telling donors that Israel is losing global support and that Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu needs to change tactics, which Biden says is difficult with Israel's current government, the most right-wing in Israeli history. The conservative pull by far-right ministers means Israel, quote, doesn't want a two-state solution, Biden said.
3: Two states for two peoples. And it's more important now than ever.
4: All indications are that is not Netanyahu's goal. In a taped message before Biden's comments, Netanyahu admitted there are differences in who the two countries believe will govern Palestinians after the war. But Netanyahu knows how critical American support is, thanking the U.S. after it was the only country to vote against the U.N. Security Council's resolution for an immediate ceasefire. Israel is still battling militants in Gaza's north while pushing south. The IDF claims to have killed an estimated 7,000 militants, while the Hamas-controlled Ministry of Health says that over 18,000 people have been killed in Gaza, with almost the entire population displaced. Tonight, Biden's national security adviser is telling CNN that Israel must open this Kerem Shalom border crossing to allow aid directly into Gaza. Jake Sullivan says they're telling Israel it's an emergency. We are asking you to do this ASAP, he says, because of the nature of the humanitarian situation on the ground. Today we saw aid trucks being inspected, but they're still being routed through Egypt. Right here is where Egypt, Israel, and the Gaza Strip all meet. These trucks coming into Israel from Egypt could, in theory, go straight into Gaza to deliver that aid. But for now, that is something the Israeli government is not allowing. Humanitarian groups describe horrendous conditions for displaced Palestinians. This mother trying to push rainwater out of the tent that she shares with nine children, including a baby. Damn Hamas and Israel. It's enough for us, says Fatma. Have mercy on us and stop or let Israel kill us all and give us relief. 13-year-old Rana says her family has nine people in their tent, also full of water. My siblings are freezing, Rana says. We don't know what to do. We want to go back to our homes and not drown. And, Aaron, as the fighting intensifies, the humanitarian situation is only getting worse. We are also getting updates from the IDF about the number of Israeli soldiers who have been killed. It is now over 100, 104 to be exact. 13 of them were killed by friendly fire, which means that one in every eight was killed by friendly fire. And there have been some notable deaths among these Israeli soldiers, including the son Mm -hmm. and the nephew of a senior Israeli minister who also used to be the top general in charge of the IDF. Aaron? Mm -hmm.
2: All right. Thank you very much, Alex, reporting from Tel Aviv tonight. And out front now, retired Army General Wesley Clark, also the former Supreme Allied Commander of NATO. So, General, I appreciate your time. I want to start with uh, the news that we have here tonight, uh, that, that we have confirmed that Israel, the IDF, is flooding Hamas tunnels with seawater. They say doing it in a limited basis. Uh, is Do you think this is the most logical thing, that this is the right step for them to be doing right now?
3: I've expected it from the beginning because if you look at how, how could, what could you do with those tunnels? If you put your soldiers in, they're liable to hit booby traps. There's going to be a firefight in the tunnels. You're going to lose a lot of people. If you try to smoke them out with tear gas, you don't know what the ventilation system is. they probably got gas masks or gas disperses. So it always looked like seawater was the most likely uh, option. And we don't know what the effect of the seawater is. It could be pumped in there and sink right into the sand and, and into the ground, it could uh, it could collapse the tunnels, but maybe it doesn't. Uh, it could collapse buildings maybe above the tunnels, and so this is has to be looked at as kind of a test by the Israelis. That's why they say they're doing it on a limited basis. I'm sure because they themselves don't know what the impact will be.
2: And you heard President Biden saying that there's assertions that they are flooding tunnels on this limited basis that don't have hostages in them. Uh, It was obviously notable that he used that word, right? Assertions, not that they say this and this is therefore true. it just raised a question. And it is part of the uh, concern that President Biden has warned Israel that it's losing support. He said the prime minister, Netanyahu, needs to change his tactics and likely his government. So how significant do you think this is, General, that this is all spilling out into public? We're all seeing this
3: it's bad for for everybody, honestly, Aaron, because it makes the United States look weak. Now, we've already got a credibility problem after Afghanistan. We're dealing with Putin. We're dealing with Maduro in Venezuela, who's threatening to invade Guyana. And now our own ally, Israel, that we said we wholeheartedly, totally support, is uh, we're we're in a tussle with Israel. So uh, it raises a lot of questions for the United States, but it's worse for Israel. Because Israel really is dependent on the United States, Netanyahu's been a controversial president. Yep. It's not not a, a surprise that there are conflicts there. He he's been behind the expansion in the into the West Bank by the Palestinian settlers, which has caused so much of this uh, anxiety, and which the Biden administration has opposed.
2: So, General, the U.N. General Assembly just voted to demand a ceasefire in the conflict. And obviously, uh, that's not something Israel says it's going to do. And one of the votes that they were able to get was from Canada. Now, Canada, up until this point, had refused to back a ceasefire, incredibly close ally of the United States. So what kind of pressure does that put on Israel and the United States when you have Canada with with the symbolic importance that it carries as the largest uh, land border with the United States, turning against it on this crucial issue?
3: I don't think Israel is going to be uh, persuaded to go with a ceasefire. Uh, Even if the United States called for a ceasefire, I think it'd be very tough for Israel to agree to that because they've said this is an existential threat. But the United States needs all its friends. And so Canada's vote is not helpful to us.
2: All right. Well, General Clark, I appreciate your time. Thank you very much. Thank you. All right. And out front now, Tal Heinrich, she is spokesperson for the Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu. And Tal, uh, it's great to be with you, of course, here in New York. So, um, you know, just to start with the the limited flooding of the tunnels uh, that we understand the IDF is doing, uh, Israel says it's doing on a limited basis in tunnels where they do not believe hostages are being held. President Biden says that is an assertion uh, that he cannot confirm it. How do you know for sure that there are no hostages in the tunnels being flooded?
5: First, Erin, regarding the tunnels, I cannot comment on operational military activity happening on the ground or anything strategic moving ahead. Um, this is a question that you will have to refer to the IDF. What I can say is that we said in the past, the IDF spokesperson has said that we're looking at various ways to eliminate these tunnels. We have eliminated much of, of the tunnel infrastructure, um, but there are still many of them. As you heard from from your reporter, also in the area of Khan Yunis, where our forces are uh, now operating, and um, Obviously, when we work on the ground to eliminate the Hamas terrorist regime in Gaza, the hostages yeah. situation is, is the top of minds.
2: Yes. I, I'm curious, though, and I understand they're saying where they don't believe the hostages are. But a, a question to you just on an intelligence basis. If Israel knows where they are not, how, do you know where they are? Well, again, this is a question for the IDF.
5: We, what we know is that Hamas only responds to pressure. We have seen the release of hostages so far based on the outline that we agreed upon, because mm-hmm. thanks to the military pressure, and we continue to hit them hard because we want to reach the twofold goal, the mission that we have defined for this war.
2: So President Biden has warned Israel it's losing support, right? He said to the Prime Minister Netanyahu, you need to change your tactics and, 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 and likely your government. Um, is there a response from the Prime Minister well, first,
5: Israel is a democratic state. The the ones who choose the government, as you know, are, are the people of Israel. Um, and right now, my country is not dealing with politics. Aaron, from left to right, there is a public consensus. We're all united right now around the goal. Uh, and the goal is to defeat Hamas. You, you know, when the terrorists targeted us on, on October 7th, they didn't ask who voted for, for who, for which party. They yeah. didn't care, and you know some of these hardest hit communities. And I know that you've you've been you've been to the southern areas. Um, are honestly the the the, the people um, who are most staunch supporters of, of the Palestinian cause in certain areas in Many and the of them were in those
2: kibbutzim. Yes, right. Mm-hmm. So, um, in terms of the civilians, General Clark was talking about how when you flood, there's unknown consequences. At this point, could involve say buildings coming down. Right, obviously. Unknown at this point, as as he lays it out. Um, A lot of civilians have died. We know that. Um, Israel says, uh, the IDF says they've killed at least 7,000 Hamas members. Obviously, we can't independently confirm that. But I did recently speak to Jonathan Conricus, IDF spokesperson, Mm -hmm. and i had asked him about a report that said that senior Israeli military officials said that they were basically killing uh, two civilians for every Hamas member. And he called that a, quote, tremendously positive ratio. That if it was two civilians for every one Hamas, that's tremendously positive. How do you see it?
5: Well, it depends what you compare Israel to. If you compare Israel to perfection, uh, of course, no, nobody's nobody's perfect. We don't want to see any civilian casualty. We want to ease the civilian suffering in Gaza. The IDF is going to such extents um, that the no, no other Western military, no other military has, has done before to safeguard the civilian population in an enemy war zone. And I think that Israel is really defining the, the gold standard here of urban warfare. Um, and if you compare the campaigns in, in Iraq and Afghanistan, mm-hmm. the civilian to combat a, uh, yep. casualty ratio, um, than Israel, once the dust would settle, you will see that Israel compares mm-hmm. favorably.
2: And I understand that. I understand that sort of uh, academically if, if, if those numbers are put out there when you talk about the gold standard, but yet what we are confronted with every day is a horrific loss of Palestinian life and a lot it's of a- agony it. and anguish. It is hard to hear that being the gold standard. Every civilian casualty is a huge tragedy. There hasn't been a war in
5: human history, even the most justified ones, um, that haven't seen a certain extent of collateral damage. But again, what we are doing on the ground, the fact that we are telling the civilian population where our soldiers are are entering and when, Mm This is unprecedented, and I'm sure yeah. that some you know, family and, and, and friends of U.S. Armed Forces service members watching us right now would wonder, well, who, who does that? Who announces where the troops are exactly going to operate so that civilians and, and the terrorists would know um, this is the, what the IDF is doing because we're a moral military. We're a moral
2: I, country. I want to give you a chance to respond to another report that aired on CNN last sure. night. Uh, my colleague Nema al was reporting on some of the money that has gone to Hamas, uh, obviously a lot of money in recent years, and questions about whether Netanyahu's policies actually aided and abetted that by allowing hundreds of millions of dollars in actual cash to go into Gaza uh, that, uh, from, from Hamas, despite concerns from Netanyahu's own government, some of which were raised uh, by then Education Minister Naftali Bennett, who spoke to Nema, and here's what he said.
3: I stopped the cash uh, suitcases because I believe that's a horrendous mistake to allow Hamas to have all these suitcases full of cash that goes directly to rearming themselves against Israelis. Why would we feed them cash to kill us?
2: So when he says he stopped it, he's referring to when he became prime minister, he's saying he stopped uh, the Netanyahu policy uh, that he refers to as cash and suitcases. Does Netanyahu believe now that he made a mistake by allowing cash to go in? Well, it,
5: it- Again, this is a we allowed money to go inside Gaza, not uh, for Hamas, obviously, and it's not only a, a policy that happened, by the way, during this government, the previous Israeli governments, because we wanted the money to uh, reach, you know, the Palestinian people to fix the water uh, system that we saw Hamas has mm-hmm. turned pipes, water pipes, into right. missiles, uh, the sewage system, and so right. forth. We wanted to. But You knew
2: it wasn't being used for those purposes because you could see the system.
5: Well, and- well, uh, it, it, listen, it, it's it's a major problem. Uh, every time, and I think it's a repeating pattern here in history. Every time the state of Israel has cut more slack to the Palestinian people, it backfired. It was answered with more bloodshed, more uh, murder. And if you go back, you know, you go back to the 1947 partition plan uh, of the United, United Nations. Um, they, we said yes. They said no. They started a war against us. We retreated from Gaza. We signed the Oslo Accords. We got suicide bombings in our cities. We uh, in 2005, the disengagement. Act from Gaza. We got missiles raining on our communities, um, and and now we allowed in more, you know, fake rehabilitation efforts, and we cut more slack to Palestinian workers who wanted to work in Israel. Expanded the fishing zone. What did we get? The October seventh massacre. It's a repeating pattern. Mm-hmm.
2: All right. Well, Tal, I appreciate your time and thank you very much. Uh, It's good to see you in person. And next, the breaking news denied Ukraine's president fails to change Republican minds about funding during a high-stakes trip to Washington, as we're learning the grisly toll Putin's invasion has had on his own forces. Plus, the House just hours away from voting on an impeachment inquiry into Biden, an uh, an investigation that Democrat Dean Phillips says makes Biden, quote, unelectable. Phillips is running against the president, and he's my guest tonight. And tonight, the graphic voicemails one election worker says she received because of Giuliani's lies about the election.
0: Angie has made it easier than ever to hire high-quality pros to get all your home service jobs done well. Whether it's routine maintenance and emergency repair or a dream project. Angie lets you compare quotes from multiple local pros, browse homeowner reviews, and even book a service instantly. Angie's been connecting people with skilled pros for nearly 30 years. So the next time you have a home project, bring it to Angie to get your job done well. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com.
1: That's A-N-G-I dot com. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it
2: Breaking news, Ukraine's president in Washington making a last-ditch plea for immediate aid. Speaking in English, Volodymyr Zelensky stood alongside President Biden as both leaders made their case for American support for Ukraine.
6: Thanks to Ukraine's success, success in defense, other European nations are safe from the Russian aggression, unlike in the past.
3: Putin is banking on the United States failing to deliver for Ukraine. We must, we must, we must prove him wrong.
2: Yet some Republicans are not on board to give Ukraine more military aid, holding it up in Congress. Those include Speaker Mike Johnson, who met with Zelensky today. Here's how Johnson put it just a week ago.
3: There are important questions that must be answered uh, so that we can continue
7: with these negotiations. Among those is, what is the objective? What is the end game in Ukraine?
2: Well, that is a major about face for Johnson because he not only supported Ukraine loudly, clearly and proudly, but he slammed Biden for being too slow on providing military aid to Ukraine. Here's Mike Johnson back in April, 2022.
7: They're asking for the ability to fight back. As, As we've seen in recent days, there's a real chance they could win this conflict with Russia, but they will not be able to do that. They certainly can't prevail if the Biden administration continues to sit on its hands and not deliver the weapons that that are sorely needed and that we, we are prepared
3: to provide.
2: Well, a total about face on that particular issue. Of course, if aid does not come, Putin will be triumphant and able to continue on his openly stated quest to defeat what he calls, quote, the root of evil, the United States.
1: We need to
8: know and understand where the root of evil is. We're this very spider who is trying to envelop the whole planet, the whole world with his web and wants to achieve our strategic defeat on the battlefield.
2: It is, of course, Ukrainians who fight every day for Putin's strategic defeat on the battlefield and for the very basic thing, the most basic thing, their nation's right to exist. And on the ground in Ukraine, the war grinds on tonight. Nick Peyton Walsh is out front in Zaporizhia.
6: The war isn't over, or even slowing. Avdivka in the east, the next town Moscow wants to slowly swallow. Endless Ukrainian drone videos show the huge losses. The latest US intelligence estimate? Russia has had 13,000 casualties here. A huge number, offered without evidence. But a clear bid to show American aid to Ukraine is, right now, hurting Russia. The lack of a potent summer breakthrough means Ukraine's President Volodymyr Zelensky faces perhaps his toughest weeks ahead. He had to take time away from fighting Europe's biggest war since the 40s to get caught between these two politicians as they have their own squabble. Here on Capitol Hill, the lawmakers are eager to go home for the holidays at the end of the week. In Ukraine, weeks later, they may start running out of money on the front lines. It is life and death. One helicopter pilot in the East told me,
3: uh, "It will be very difficult for us to fight without your assistance, but we have no choice. So this is very serious things, because unfortunately, we don't have enough power within our country to support our army, but we extremely need it. This is just a question this is just a point of our survival.
6: Russia is relentless shelling the city of Kherson hard most nights and mornings this week and said Ukraine's security service possibly behind a cyber attack hitting a major cell phone provider. It impacted air raid sirens, air raid alerts on phones and added to the sense of Putin moving in on what's left of civilian safety in Ukraine as winter looks bleaker. Now, Volodymyr Zelensky returns to a Ukraine, likely without achieving the thing that this trip hoped he would do, with some officials here warning that salaries for doctors, first responders on the front lines may indeed run out in January, with clear public tension with his chief of staff who ran the counter-offensive that hasn't yielded the results that Ukraine and its Western backers wanted. The defence minister even today joking that he hadn't heard whether or not the chief of staff had indeed been fired. He hasn't, just for clarity. But Ukraine Ukraine also mm-hmm. experienced consistent Russian shelling, attacks on infrastructure, the cell phone service nationwide experiencing what Ukraine said was a Russian cyber attack today. The problems mm-hmm. mounting, but this key one, a lack of financing, will burn in the next weeks very hard. Aaron.
2: All right, Nick. Thank you very much in Zaporizhia. And out front now, longtime Putin critic uh, Bill Browder. He was once the largest foreign investor in Russia. Now he's on Putin's wanted list. He's also the author of Freezing Order, a true story of money laundering, murder, and surviving Vladimir Putin's wrath. So, Bill, President Joe Biden said today that if Congress fails to pass this supplemental aid package, it's going to give Putin what he called the greatest Christmas gift. Um, Is this how Putin sees it?
8: There's no question. I mean, uh, so the Ukrainians showed us two years ago that that with some resources, um, even though they were outmanned and outgunned, they could fight the Russians back. And a war that should have lasted three days is now going almost two years. Um, But that is contingent on the Ukrainians getting weapons that they didn't have before from the United States and other countries. And the united states is responsible for for more military and financial aid than any other country and so if for some reason um the americans can't provide the ukrainians with any more financial aid then basically putin had to wait two years for this but he's going to get what he wants and uh president biden is right about that
2: so a source telling cnn today that a declassified u.s intelligence intelligence assessment that Congress received in the context of all of this conversation about aid, right, says that Putin has lost 315,000 troops uh, on the battlefield and that the war has basically set back 15 years of Russian effort to modernize its ground force, 15 years. So you could look at that and say, if if you're looking at doing damage to the Russian military machine, that damage is being done. But is there any point at which these losses get too big for Putin to continue? And obviously this question would be contingent upon, you know, support, obviously
8: continuing. Well, I should point out that Putin doesn't really care about how many of his own soldiers are killed. He has no empathy. He's, he's really a psychopath. Um, but having said that, there is one factor, which is that he operates in a country with a lot of people who could one day rise up against him. And... The 300 and some odd thousand people who are dead, that's 20 times more than the Soviet Union lost in Afghanistan. They lost about 15,000. And, and that was over a 10-year period. And that led to the mothers of the Soviet Union rising up and, and forcing the, the regime to withdraw from Afghanistan. And so, you know, it's it's Putin can do this as long as he's running a complete totalitarian system where everybody even the mothers and wives and sisters and brothers of, of the soldiers who are lost um, can't rise up but if at any point they start to rise up and and organize then Putin is really in a in a bad place and 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 so it's it's not certain what what, what that moment is and mm-hmm. um and Putin seems to think he can carry on.
2: Right. I mean and that's the thing. I mean that moment hasn't happened. I think confounding many, right? And the question is it, it, when? I mean one person who obviously had been, well, the leader of the opposition, had spoken up against Putin. Uh, Prior to all this was Alexei Navalny, poisoned uh, with Novichok, put in a penal colony. And one of his closest aides yesterday told me that he's been missing for a week and that right before he went missing, his lawyers were unable to get access to him, He's now hasn't appeared at multiple hearings, that he had a health incident and needed an IV. But no one knows anything about what happened to him since then, so he could be sick, he could be moved to the, a, a worse penal colony, as, as could be the case, could be dead. They don't know. I mean, wh- what do you think could happen here?
8: Well, I think I think the very best case scenario is that they put him uh, in the transfer system with, between the prisons. And and we've seen this before with um, with various people, including Navalny, uh, um, where they when you, when you're being transferred, you effectively get lost, and nobody has access to where you are. You can't communicate. Your lawyers don't know where you are, and that may be that that may be where he is, and that is the best case scenario. And of course, the worst case scenario is that something catastrophic has happened to Alexei Navalny, and that's entirely possible. And it's particularly ominous with the fact that he had this incident where he collapsed six days ago. And that was the last anyone's ever heard from him. Yeah, of
2: course, and we wait wait for news there. Hearing nothing today for yet another day. Bill Browder, thank you very much. Thank you. And next, Republicans are one step closer to launching an impeachment inquiry against Biden. Full House vote is right now scheduled for tomorrow. Dean Phillips is a Democrat running against Biden for president. He's out front next to weigh in. And Trump cashing in on his legal problems, now offering his supporters a literal piece of the suit that you see in this mugshot, somebody cut it up for a hefty price. New tonight, the full House just hours away now from a vote to launch an impeachment inquiry into President Biden. Republicans defending the move is necessary, saying that the White House has not turned over requested documents in the Hunter Biden probe. Democrats, though, say it's about politics and ultimately about helping Donald Trump win in 2024. Out front now, a man running against President Biden on the Democratic side for 2024, Congressman Dean Phillips. And uh, and, and Congressman, so I understand um, that, you know, you, you're running to win, uh, of obviously. You're, you want President Biden out of office, but do you stand with him against this impeachment effort the way that the Republicans in the House are doing it?
7: I do. I think it's absurd. I've not seen a single shred of evidence that would indicate that he's guilty of anything whatsoever, other than being a good father. And that's the truth. And I'll be flying to Washington tomorrow to register that vote, because I think it's absurd. And we cannot start using impeachments as a regular course of business in a massively dysfunctional Congress.
2: So I want to talk about your bid to defeat President Biden in the primary. So You're going to go and you're going to support him on this impeachment-specific point. Um, But look, there's growing concern among Democrats. So I'll just go through a few of the things. Uh, He's trailing former President Trump uh, by five points in Georgia. Uh, which is a purple state now. Mm-hmm. Um, it is worse news for Biden in Michigan, where Trump has a 10-point lead. Right, These are states uh, that Biden won. Uh, Biden says, uh, you know, look, look, his approval rating's at what, 37%. 37. It's the lowest right. uh, that it has been. Um, but then Biden, we, we ask them, well, what about you? And they say, well, you're only polling, Congressman Phillips is only polling at 10% <laughs> in New Hampshire, so there's nothing to worry about. Did you think it would be easier? When you look at his numbers, did you think that your job would be easier?
7: No, I would, t- in fact, I'm thrilled I'm at 10%. I'm thrilled Yeah, I mean, that is another way to look at it, I to mean, say absolutely. that the
2: challenger is coming yeah. in at 10%, yeah.
7: You know, people don't know my name yet, and you know, you know why they don't know my name yet? Because I'm not a jerk. It's so easy to become famous in politics right now by just being a jerk. That's why so many of the best known politicians in America right now are just people like that. It's gonna take months for me to become known, introduce myself. And I'm, I'll be I'll be around. So, no, I'm not surprised at all. And those comparisons don't matter right now. What really matters, Aaron, is next May or June, head to head comparisons. How does President Biden stand against Donald Trump? How do I stand? And then give Democrats a choice, a really, I think, clear choice. I believe I'll be ahead of Donald Trump. I believe President Biden will continue to be behind. Do so You
2: think in the polls when people will say your name versus Trump's name, that you would be would win, even though Biden Almost would not Almost with certainty. But,
7: but let's get to those dates and see. And that, that, but most importantly, we Democrats are deluded right now into thinking the best way to proceed is with this coronation. Just the data you just shared, it is horrifying. So why do we not want a multi-candidate primary to identify the person best positioned to beat Donald Trump? That's my proposition. The fact that I'm the only one doing it is perhaps the most bizarre part of this whole episode.
2: Well, RFK Jr. was doing it. Now he's moved over he to being independent because, because he will not back him if he's the nominee, right? Which you would be forced to do as a Democrat.
7: Oh, I, I will absolutely back the president mm. if he's the nominee. We have no choice. But my position right now is in 2020, I do think he was probably the only one that could defeat Donald Trump. In 2024, I do believe he's one of the only ones that can't.
2: All right, well, which is obviously a big switch. Now, you've been vocal in the border. Uh, And you've been vocal on Biden and criticizing him and how he's handled it. Uh, You've rejected claims it's secure. You called it, I I quote you, Congressman, an unmitigated, embarrassing, inexcusable disaster. Uh, So today uh, we heard from several Republicans. We've heard from Senator Graham. We've heard from Senator Cornyn. Uh, Here is what they're
3: saying. I think it's going to take the president himself telling his cabinet and telling his staff, get this done.
2: And uh, Lindsey Graham, the key is to get the commander in chief involved in the negotiations. Uh, It's his job above all others. Do you agree with Senators Cornyn and Graham?
7: I agree. Every American should agree. It is the commander in chief's primary job to provide security to the United States. I've been to the southern border twice, Aaron. It is an unmitigated, embarrassing, horrifying disaster, not just under this administration, for about the last 10 administrations. And that is true. Democrats and Republicans have absolutely failed at the border. And these are truths I wish more Americans knew. Yes, we have to secure it. Yes, we have to completely reform our immigration policy and particularly our asylum policy. It is, we are actually putting human beings in the position of making this horrific journey, spending their life savings, giving it to Mexican cartels because they have to come across the border. We should be doing that, Uh, we should be processing asylum cases in the countries of origin to prevent the crisis once it gets to the border. Most people in government have literally been doing this for so long, they know no other way. They do not know how to anticipate, plan ahead. Yeah. Between the border crisis, AI, we've got a lot coming down the pipeline, Aaron, and we do not have leaders and positions right now, and Donald Trump is certainly not it, that can anticipate these issues, yeah. process them, plan ahead, and prepare for the future. It's pretty simple.
2: All right. Congressman Phillips, I appreciate your time. Thank you very much. Thank you, and it's Aaron. good to see you here. And next, Trump is cashing in, charging for trading cards with his mugshot and a piece of the suit he was wearing. This is how he raises money. Now, run-ins from the law have actually been incredibly lucrative for him, and this is real money. Plus, one world leader now taking a page from Putin's playbook, threatening to invade another country. Take half of it, and Putin may be involved. Will they get away with it? A special report.
1: The assignment with me, Audie Cornish. So there have been arrests, suspensions, disciplinary hearings. They're shutting down graduation events. At this moment, the part of the protests that are admirable are young people calling attention to atrocities. Michael Roth is the president of Wesleyan University. I would like to make a space for them to do that, as long as that
8: space doesn't prevent other people from pursuing their education.
1: Listen to The Assignment with me, Audie Cornish, on your favorite podcast app.
2: Tonight, the former president, Donald Trump, fundraising off his mugshot Again, so now this is what he's doing. He's now offering people the chance to buy this, quote, historic gift just in time for Christmas, mugshot edition. That's what they call it, digital trading cards. And if you buy 47 of them, you will get a piece of the suit Trump wore when his mugshot was taken. Now, to do all of that, it will run you about $4,600. It's not even like PBS. You know, when you do it, you get a bag. <laughs> Harry Anton's here to go behind the numbers. Okay, so we're sitting here laughing. And it is funny. And yet this is real money. And he is raising real money. It's why it's a story. I mean, how much money did Trump make since the mugshot in that court where you have the numbers?
9: He's made millions of dollars. I mean, that's what they have reported out. And we know that quarter three, which, of course, was when the mugshot was taken, was his best fundraising quarter by far and overall in the quarter. Now, of course, some of this happened before the mugshot. He raised forty five million dollars. Raised forty five million dollars, his best fundraising quarter so far. And that and what we've seen is this, this general upward trajectory of Trump fundraising. And he was not fundraising at all before the first indictment. Then all of yeah. a sudden he saw this just tremendous uh, climb in the fundraising numbers. And, and right now he's a runaway runaway train when it comes to endorsement. And, um, and
2: and um, the mugshots, can you Can you, I mean, I know correlation is not necessarily causality, but what's the relationship between the mugshot and polls?
9: Yeah, you know, you might think, you know, this is just something that plays to the base, right? But in fact, it seems to be something that might actually be playing to the general election. You know, before the mugshot was taken, Joe Biden had a small lead in the national polls, about two points. You look at where we are now. We see Trump with a lead of about three points in the national polls. It has not cut down on his support at all. If anything, he seems to be gaining over Joe Biden. So this isn't just a primary phenomenon, it's something that's happening.
2: Five-point margin. Now, people supporting him, uh, as you see, that, that seems to have improved. Does that mean that they think he's not guilty?
9: No, this I think is the, the the most interesting part of this, right, Aaron, which is they may be more supportive of him now, but they also actually do think that he's guilty in that Georgia election subver- subversion case. You can see that right there. The majority, 51 percent, believe, in fact, he is guilty compared to just 26 percent who say not guilty. So yeah. this uh, sort of this thing where these voters are wearing these different issues in their mind. But Trump seems to be the beneficiary, at least so far, on the metrics that actually matter.
2: And very quickly now saying you get a cut up piece of the suit. I mean, you know, we were all talking about sort of making a joke. I mean, it's like relics uh, in the Catholic Church back in the day. Who knows if it's the real suit? Who knows if it's the real? i venture to question it.
9: I I have no idea, but whatever he's doing, it's working no matter how bizarre it is, Aaron.
2: Right. Raising money. That's the bottom line. As we said, that's why it's a story. It is real money. All right. Thanks, Thanks, Harry. And next, he's power hungry and threatening to invade his neighbor. Well, you'll see who it is. Plus, an election worker in tears as she testified about the terrifying death threat she received because of Giuliani's election lies. You'll hear those horrifying messages. Tonight, the authoritarian leader of a country with nearly 30 million people threatening a massive land grab tonight. A leader taking his cues from his ally, Vladimir Putin. Issa Soros is out front.
10: It's an outlandish attempt at a land grab that has the world on edge. Long live the full map of Venezuela. This is President Nicolas Maduro revealing his new vision, a larger and more powerful Venezuela. Which includes Essequibo, a lush and vast patch of land that makes up two-thirds of neighbouring Guyana. Maduro is now threatening to invade Guyana after an incendering referendum at home, backed his bid to claim sovereignty over the territory. Let's publish and take to all the schools, high schools and universities of the country the new map of Venezuela, he says. Across the border, Guyana's President Irfan Ali is ringing alarm bells.
7: This is a direct threat to Guyana's territorial integrity, sovereignty and political independence.
10: Roughly the size of Florida, Essequibo has been a part of Guyana since 1899 when international arbitrators set the current borders. Venezuela has long sought to control the territory and the discovery of more than 11 billion barrels of oil and gas off Guyana's coast by oil giant ExxonMobil in 2015, which put the country on track to become the world's highest per capita oil producer ...has only emboldened Maduro. Now he's escalating tensions even further... ...naming a major general as the head of the new Essequibo state... ...and telling oil companies operating in the region... ...they have three months to pack up and leave. Aquí la traje. This as he orders Venezuela's national oil company... ...to start exploring the area. Immediately we'll proceed to give operating licenses for the exploration and exploitation of oil, gas and mines in all of Guyana's Akiba, he says. It's a move out of President Putin's playbook. And the fear, Guyana's president tells me, is that Maduro feels empowered by the Russian leader's invasion of Ukraine.
1: We cannot allow a situation
7: like Ukraine in this Western Hemisphere. We cannot allow the annexation of a territory in this Western Hemisphere.
10: Allies and neighbors too are taking note. Brazil's President Lula da Silva has ordered additional troops and armored vehicles to his northern border. (laughs) Something we don't need in South America's war. We don't need a war, we don't need conflict, he says. What we need is to build peace. <laughs> a longtime ally, the United States, is conducting flight operations within Guyana, while throwing its support for the country's sovereignty and robust security. And, Erin, context here is important. President Putin is one of Nicolas Maduro's strongest backers, and Washington, along with Diana's allies, will be wanting, most surely, to avoid a scenario like the one unfolding right now all the way in Ukraine. Already, the White House, which has eased sanctions on Venezuela's all-sector back in October, says it's not ruling out putting those sanctions back on the table. Aaron.
2: All right, Issa, thank you very much. And pretty incredible story, though, and a land grab of more than half of a country happening just south of the U.S. border. Well, next, a Georgia election worker revealing the violent and racist threat she received because of Rudy Giuliani's election lies former Fulton County election worker crying as she testified to Rudy Giuliani's defamation trial, Shay Moss spoke of how her life changed when Trump's former lawyer spread conspiracy theories about her leading to death threats. Moss saying, quote, I am most scared of my son finding me or my mom hanging outside my house on a tree or having to get the news at school that his mama was killed. Jurors also hearing some of the racist and violent threats that she and her mother Ruby Freeman received. And I will warn you that these are graphic threats.
3: I you f-
9: racist. F- have a nice life but left of it you have
8: Hey this is Shay
3: hey f- I hope you like jail because that's where you're going on your way to hell
2: Federal judge has already found Giuliani guilty of defamation Moss and Freeman are asking for between 15 and $43 million. Now, before we go, an important programming note. My friend Dana Bash is going to sit down with Nikki Haley and the New Hampshire governor, Chris Sununu, uh, who is endorsing her, of course. That is tomorrow at noon. uh, And you will want to see that with Dana. Thanks so much for joining us. AC 360 starts now.
7: Now streaming exclusively on Max, a new CNN flash talk about the album that has Nashville talking, Call Me Country.